You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. morning we're uh, looking at the question are are heaven and hell real and um, that's a that's a real heavy question we normally don't talk that much about hell um, how many of you grew up uh, where you heard a hellfire and brimstone sermons yeah many of you uh, have have done that I, I remember a few good ones in my time too and uh, they made me a bit uncomfortable, to say the least, and particularly in the way in which they can be used. But what also makes me uncomfortable, honestly, is to never talk about the reality of, of, of eternity or judgment and eternal bliss. If you look at our Schweitzer archives, you'll find really hardly any messages about uh, judgment as far as a message being given to that, or eternal bliss for that matter. <clears throat> and so what I want to do today is to walk through with you what I believe is the, the full tenor or the full essence of, of the primary message that Scripture is consistent about in terms of eternity. And as we do that, I want to first of all throw out to you the popular version. So many of us enjoyed uh, Ted Danson with Cheers for years, and now he's in a new series, a new show, on The Good Life. And this particular segment, it really uh, speaks well about a popular version today on how all this stuff is scored. So let's watch. Uh, hello everyone and welcome to your first day in the afterlife you were all simply put good people but how do we know that you were good how are we sure during your time on earth every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe every sandwich you ate Every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares, no one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! <laughs> anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. 
The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. And you won't be alone. Your true soulmate is here too. That's right, soulmates are real. One of the other people in your neighborhood is your actual soulmate, and you will spend eternity together. So welcome to eternal happiness. Welcome to the good place. Sponsored by otters holding hands while they sleep. You know the way you feel when you see a picture of two otters holding hands? That's how you're going to feel every day. Ah, just, yeah. Yeah. So that's a popular version. Um, it's something that many people, even religious people, secular people alike, think about, well, who gets to go to heaven? That there's this sense of balance and scales and um, there's a rating system. And so good people get to go there and not so good people don't get to go there. Another popular version today is simply uh, universal salvation. That everyone, ultimately love wins. And ultimately, a God of love and goodness, God being God, will find a way ultimately to redeem everyone. Everyone ultimately will go there. What I want to share with you this morning are some passages from Revelation. And... Um, let me just say up front, they're, they're rather graphic images. And you, you can't get much more stark and vivid than this. But I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your pew Bible or in your Bible and your electronic version. And we're going to look at um, two different segments of Revelation. We think about judgment and we think about eternal bliss. So let's look at Revelation chapter 21, chapter 20, chapter 20, beginning with verse 11. So then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens <clears throat> fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and everyone was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, all whose names were not written in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire. And so in this image, there's two books. Well, there's two different kinds of books. There's the book of records. And in the book of records, there are deeds that are recorded of human beings, all the living and the dead. So there's the book of records that records in which the things in which we have done in this life. And there is the book of life, which is a book of grace. And those whose names are on, in the book of life are the ones who enter into eternal life into heaven. Now, it seems like at face value that these two different kinds of books or records are contrary to each other. 
I've had many Christians, for example, say to me, you know, Bob, because of God's mercy and grace, I will never have to be judged. Jesus Christ took that place for me. And yet the essence of Scripture, not in this image, but in many images, is that the household of God will also be judged. That yes, I do not enter heaven based on my own merit or what's recorded in those books, in the record books. And yet, there's a very clear teaching that all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll give an account for what we have done in this, in this life. And yet, none of us enter heaven and an eternal bliss based on our records, but on the merits of Jesus Christ, on the names who are included in the book of life. Now, a very sobering teaching in Revelation is that there is a second death. All of us will experience the first death. But the second death is eternal death. And the Scripture equates eternal death with the lake of fire. Now, as I was visiting with God about all this, and I, I want to tell you, I, I visit with God every time I prepare a message. And I am not batting a thousand. <laughs> and so I may be incorrect in the ways in which I interpret and the ways that I see things. And yet the essence of what I sense from God is that hell was never God's idea in the first place. That the lake of fire was not prepared for human beings in the first place. But the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. In fact, Scripture says so. That the lake of fire is a way in which the judgment of God can end forever and ever all that is defiling, all that is evil, all that is perpetrated against what is good. And the Scripture takes very seriously the reality that in the words of Martin Luther's old hymn, in this world where, which is devil filled that the perpetration of evil is vast and great and the warfare that is set up against God in the spirit world is affecting us daily in the physical world and I I know that intellectually I, I may be minimizing myself here but I believe with all my heart that one of the best things that we could do as a church once again is to do study of demonology and the reality of evil and what we're up against. And I think we suffer from a naivete when we take this all lightly. Now, having said that the lake of fire or hell was was not prepared for human beings does not minimize the reality that human beings who go and separate themselves intentionally from God farther and farther and farther away may now ultimately receive the hell of their own choosing.
Now we might say, you know, this is Revelation. I understand that Revelation just barely made the canon of Scripture anyway. <laughs> but let's look at Jesus. Do you know that Jesus in the Gospels speaks more about hell than any other person in Scripture? That Jesus uses stark, vivid, disturbing, unsettling images of eternal punishment. He talks about outer darkness and the gnashing of teeth. He talks about dungeons and prisons and places of torment. Jesus took on hell deliberately and directly in this life. He said he had the keys of the kingdom, and he gives us the keys of the kingdoms. And he likens hell to gates, and he says the gates of hell will not penetrate or overcome us. And so there is a sense in which we, as God's people, if eternity is in our heart, are propelled to step more fully into the presence and the reality of the kingdom of God today. Jesus took this on face to face. He said to sexual hedonists, it's better to cut off your right hand or to gouge out an eye than, than to face the fires of hell. He said to the person who had hurt a little child, it's better for a millstone to go around your neck and you're thrown into the lake than to do that. And he was especially hard on the religious, harsh, condemning leaders. He actually called them the sons of hell. Not once, but several times. This is Jesus. Now, my mother, when I talk this way or I call people like this, my mother would sit down and she'd say, Robert, you're not being very nice. And I look at Jesus and I see some of the things that Jesus does in Scripture and I say, Jesus, you're not being very nice. Jesus was not always nice. Jesus was always good. But he wasn't always nice. Certainly, Jesus and Scripture uses hyperbole. Certainly, there's allegory. Certainly, there's symbolic language involved in these descriptions. I recognize that. In fact, in all these different Scriptures that I've shared, hardly any, if any, do I take literally. But I don't subscribe to the notion of a book, for example, the 1990s came out about good goats, that just as you and I as parents would say to our kids when they're acting up in the hey, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to tie you up to the roof of the car. <laughs> and we don't really mean it. I can't reduce the words of Jesus. Because he talks about the stark reality of darkness and evil that, that is taking over people's lives. I can't in good conscience as a student of the word, minimize his words in that way. 
And so I just asked, church, that this messes with us a bit. And we sit with this a bit. And it is, we are willing to let this disturb us. Now let's visit about heaven. Let's look at Revelation chapter 22, chapter 21. Very next, in the next passages, it says, Then I saw, so it's one common vision, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. The Bible begins, the first two chapters in the Bible, the Bible begins in the garden. The last two chapters of the Bible ends in the garden. And in the last two chapters of the Bible, the new heaven and the new earth are joined together. There's a sense in which there's a new creation that's happening in the future that does not yet exist. And there's no longer any sea there, which means that, well, sea was symbolic of fear. So there is no fear. Absolutely no fear in heaven. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That in this future event, there's going to be the bride of Christ joined for her spouse in that great marriage supper of the Lamb. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In the Old Testament scriptures where they were setting up the tent, uh, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle where God dwelt was always in the middle of the 12 tribes. God is in the middle of his people then. God desires to be in the middle of his people in the future. That's the reality and the joy in which we have to look forward to. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Dr. Fred Lehman was my professor in Asbury Seminary, and he was among us at Schweitzer for about 10 years or so before he passed not too long ago. And Dr. Fred uh, helped me to understand the distinction between the current heaven and the future heaven. When you look at Revelation, you think about heaven today, there's this sense in, in, in Scripture that the saints are under the altar yet, that, that the martyrs are there, and they're waiting for for everything to come to fulfillment. And so there is this current paradise in some way in which Jesus is there and God's people are there with him. And yet there's this sense of the ultimate culmination where there will never be any more tears or sorrows or crying or death or pain. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Heaven 
is a place where God's people are going to be there because they, they want to be there. And in one sense, we kind of choose where we want to be. We choose what direction we want to go. And Scripture lays out for us this very clear contrast between heaven and hell just as much as the altar table portrays it today. Now here's the good news. God wants everyone to know his goodness. God wants everyone to know his love. God wants everyone to experience abundant life, eternal life right now. That the kingdom of God is now. And we just prayed that prayer Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That there is kingdom realities now. That God invites us to his table of grace this morning. That in every situation and in all of life, even though in these, in these days we go through many trials that in our personal life as well as in the corporate world, there's many things that we're going to go through. We can experience the bliss of heaven now. The strength and the grace and the love of God every day and we can have the full assurance of forgiveness and mercy that God offers us today now I, I want to rather than read one more passage of Scripture I'm going to combine the stories of Jesus from Matthew 22 and Luke 14 and this is how Jesus so often talked about the kingdom of heaven. He often portrayed it as a banquet, as a wedding feast, as a party. Jesus loved to party. <laughs> Jesus loved to sit down and have a meal with friends and anyone that would join him. And Jesus so often likens heaven and knowing God and his grace as in sitting down together at a great meal. And so Jesus tells this story. I'm giving the composite of two stories faithful to the scripture. There was a host that threw a great banquet and he invited all people, all people, all kinds of people to come. Mostly he invited a lot of respectable people like you and me. And yet, as he put out this invitation, very few people, no one really, responded they could come. One person said, I just bought a piece of property, and I'm too busy. I can't come. I said, my regrets. Another person said, I bought uh, new wheels, new tr a new truck. Actually, it was new oxen, but I thought trucks would work better today than oxen. I just got married and I can't come I got to stay home what strikes me is that reasonable excuses these are all reasonable excuses decline God's invitation or the invitation to the banquet as people are busy building their own lives and doing the stuff that we want to do.
but the host is livid. And the host says, you to go out into city streets. I want you to go out into the highways. I want you to go out into the alleyways. I want you to invite the misfits. I want you to invite the ragmuffins. I want you to hand on those who have nothing going for them at all. Compel them to come. And come. And yet the word is that the banquet hall is still not full. And so what happens next? He says, I want you to go to the countryside. And I want you to invite all the rednecks. That's my version. But trust me, it's faithful. I want you to invite all the rednecks. I want you to invite all the people out in the country. Compel them to come to my table. And no one that snubbed me is going to eat at my banquet. And then Jesus goes on. He talks about the actual party and everyone's having a great time and the banquet hall's full and the host comes and the, but there's one poor chap there's one guy that's there who doesn't have the the wedding garment on he doesn't have the coat on and excuse me sir you got to get out of here and he's thrown out well, what's that about and the implication of jesus's teachings is that those of us who trust our own righteousness, those of us who are good moral people, those of us who want to live our own lives, those of us who are too busy, those of us, maybe even churchgoers, aren't going to get in. Because we trust, in a sense, in our own goodness. And we live our lives according to our plans and our desires. But the persons who come, depending upon God's grace and love and mercy, may come and feast at the great party. Now as we come to today, I want to invite you to uh, look at, at these words of Charles Wesley's in the great hymn that he wrote based on the story that I just told of Jesus. And this is the invitation to communion, but this is the invitation to something more than communion. This is the invitation to come and enter into the fullness of God's grace and mercy now and forever. Come, sinners, to the gospel feast. Let every soul be Jesus' guest. Ye need not one be left behind, for God hath bid all humankind. Do not begin to make excuse. Ah, do not you his, his grace refuse. Your worldly cares and pleasures leave. And take what Jesus hath to give. 
Come and partake the gospel feast. Be saved from sin in Jesus' rest. Oh, taste the goodness of our God and eat his flesh and drink his blood. See him set forth before your eyes. Behold the bleeding sacrifice. His offered love make haste to embrace and freely now be saved by grace. Ye who believe his record true shall sup with him and he with you. Come to the feast. Be saved from sin. For Jesus waits to take you in.